listening to The Currency Welcome. I'm Mike Gaston. I'm your host. Glad to be here with you today. This is November 21st. It's a Sunday afternoon when I'm recording this beautiful day here in South Carolina. Got up in the low 70s, nice and sunny. Uh, the missus and I got out to the beach a little bit, brought our books, sat in the, sat in the sand dunes <laughs> and read a little bit. As the sun made its journey across the sky, very glad to be alive. This is episode number 106 of The Currency, 106. Glad that you guys are with me today. You know, there's a number of news stories that we could talk about, and uh, some of them, uh, sadly, um, hilarious in a, in, a, in a sad way, just to say, where is this world going? My goodness. Uh, but, but we're not going to talk about those things. We're going to talk about the Kyle Rittenhouse decision. I'm sure you've all heard by now that the jury uh, in the Rittenhouse trial, which we talked about in the last episode, found Kyle innocent on all counts, all counts. Kyle Rittenhouse is a free man. And this trial took place over the course of a week. And then, of course, the jury deliberated for a number of days. And it looked, I think, as it went on, that there was going to be a problem. It it seemed like such an open and shut case. It looked like the prosecution did a terrible job prosecuting its case. It perjured itself. Uh, They did all kinds of, they just, they, they really botched their case against Kyle. And I think part of the reason they botched it, I think there's a couple of reasons. One is they had a really flimsy case when you get down to law. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But on another level, uh, they were not really interested in true justice, meaning that, that what is right happens, that there's a good outcome for all of society. They just really want to nail this kid to the wall. That seemed like it was like very Machiavellian, like we're going to do whatever it takes we're going to lie, cheat, and steal whatever it needs, whatever needs to be done to get this kid locked up because that's what we want. Troubling. Now, we always expect, you know, anybody that watches television, crime dramas, anybody that reads a book, anybody that watches a little bit of popular media, maybe a good movie here and there, you, you know, you always see the prosecution. They play dirty. They're trying to frame somebody. The cops frame this guy for a murder he didn't commit. We're not talking about Kyle right now. This is some fictitious show, you know, and the prosecution is going after him. And then some righteous attorney, you know, down in the heels comes out of nowhere. Some some guy that hung a shingle in a strip mall in Missouri. Uh, we're talking a little bit of John Grisham now, uh, you know, comes out of nowhere, fights for this person and uh, gets a righteous outcome against all odds. We love that. That's a, it's a trope. It's a it's a common theme. But, you know, when it comes down to reality, you need your legal system to work properly. You don't want a prosecution that is trying to destroy whoever it is in front of them. You know, you want a legal system that says, look, the legal system in general is concerned with righteousness, with goodness, with legal outcomes that benefit society, that that uphold the laws of our land. And ideally, these laws are based on deeper principles and truths. In this instance, this um, prosecutorial team, uh, you know, these two guys, uh, Binger and I forget the other guy. um, Wow. I mean, just, just really stunning. Now, that's not to say that the fact that they did a bad job uh, and they crossed lines or may have cheated or even uh, did some things that were highly, highly unethical. I mean, I think if this case were not so uh, visible nationally, these guys would be in serious trouble with the bar. And it'd be interesting to see if anything happens to them, uh, you know, after the fact. There are some questionable things. The judge, you know, did cross some lines, in my opinion. Um, it seemed like he sometimes, for me, was playing for the cameras. He, And I don't mean to say that he was insincere, but like some of his outbursts, some of his chiding, you know, he, he it almost seemed like he knew the cameras were rolling. He knew the nation was watching. And it almost was like there was a bit of a performative aspect to some of his, uh, some of his, statements, some of his correction and and scolding of the prosecution. I can't say much about Rittenhouse's defense. I don't know much about this team. They seem to be good 
journeyman attorneys. Now, if anybody out there listening is an attorney and you know better, you have a better read on this. To me, they just looked like they were good journeymen. They did their job. They did a good job defending them. They did a good job fighting. They did take a really interesting calculated risk by putting you know Kyle on on the stand. It's often, from what I'm told, uh, you don't put a defendant on the stand if you don't have to. It didn't seem like they had to, but I think that that was a really smart decision. And so I give them credit for that. I don't really know the story behind any of this. So, so I'm not criticizing them. There just wasn't anything about them where I thought, wow, these guys are killing it. I, you know, it's interesting to me, you watch these stylized portrayals of things like law in courtrooms and attorneys battling it out. Uh, you have these actors, uh, you know, you, I think of like the son of a woman where you've got Al Pacino and, and um, what's his name there? Tom Cruise, uh, you know, and there's this kind of military courtroom and <laughs> just great stuff. Lines delivered with force and power and drama and tension. You know, real life is messier. It's a little bit more uh, banal. It's a little bit more uh, mundane at times. So, you know, I think this prosecution, sorry, I think this defense team did a great job. You listen to him talk and it's just you know, drone on and on like his closing statements. I watched some of them and, he, you know, he just went through his list point by point and explained why this was wrong and that was wrong. I do think they did a good job, though, making their case. Like there were times when the prosecution clearly was overstepping their bounds, uh, infringing on the defendant's constitutional rights and playing dirty. I think they did a good job, you know, fighting back, pushing back, saying, hey, hold on a second. This guy's out of line, Your Honor. I think they did a good job uh, trying to set things up where they could have gotten a mistrial with prejudice. And I give the judge credit. Seems like he wanted to let this thing roll out. And I was talking to a friend earlier this week. And I think he had a good call. He said, it looks like the judge is going to let it roll out, kind of play itself out. And if the verdict comes back in a way that's not in line with the actual trial that he can always just say, Hey, uh, mistrial. Uh, the thing that I found really interesting, we'll kind of move on from this. I do want to talk about the Rittenhouse. I want to, I want to use the Rittenhouse trial and this verdict as kind of a background, uh, for today's discussion. And I don't think today's discussion will be too long, but the one thing that was interesting to me was the level of, of, ju of jury, I don't even want to say tampering, but it was like the, the threats, uh, the, the public, the way it was going about, especially the opposition, the left, the progressive left, attacking this jury. We know who you are. We're publishing your names. We demand justice. If this kid doesn't go away for life, we're coming after you. We're coming after your family. The same for this judge. I mean... This is a jury int juror intimidation. This is this is not good. I mean, we, we, folks, we got to wake up. I, I, you know, we keep looking at these different pieces, and we look at these different facts, things happening in our country, and we look at oh, this is upsetting. That's upsetting. This is upsetting. That's upsetting. If you step back for just a minute, we are on the precipice of something really bad. You look at countries like the Soviet Union, you look at countries like Nazi Germany, don't think for a minute that they did not hold court cases. Don't think for a minute that their defendants didn't have someone representing them. Don't think for a minute that there weren't jurors deciding. Now, they all didn't have the exact same legal system as ours. But what I'm getting at is we tend to think, oh, they were evil. And we just paint with this very broad brush. They were evil. And so they just put people in prison. In the Soviet Union, you went through due process. Oh, we're a society of laws, my friend. We're a society of, of deep ideas and, and ideologies. And we believe in science and we believe in the evolution not only of individual humans and species, but of societies and of economic systems. They believed in due process, quote unquote. But it, the due process was so corrupted, there was no way that you were going to get a fair trial. There was no way. And so what I'm concerned about here is we're seeing things happen that's, that 
boy, they indicate that we're going in the same direction as a society when we allow for thugs in public on social media to intimidate, threaten, try to manipulate jurors demanding that they provide a certain outcome or else fear of violence and death. Are you kidding me? That should be sacrosanct. You know, people are, I've talked to people on the right and the left, people that I thought were right wingers or even centrists or just people with good heads on their shoulders. They're they're infuriated about the sacred capital being violated on January 6th. Infuriated. Never mind that I told you this before that a bomb went off that the leftist Marxist group, I think it was in the 80s. I forget now, it was early, early mid 80s, you know, blew up part of the Capitol building. But that's a whole nother story. <laughs> we don't even uh, don't talk about that. But people are just upset about that. January 6th, like something sacred, something holy was defiled. And, and I'd be willing to give you that. But what I'm concerned about is the very things that hold our society together. That Capitol building does not hold our society together, friends. Do I think insurrection is a good thing? No. I really don't think that January 6th was an insurrection. We can talk about that. I think, you know, I think there were bad actors. I think there were people that were just there like, you know, we're here to protest. I mean, you can burn a freaking city down. That's a peaceful protest. A bunch of slobs. <laughs> Take a walk through the through the Capitol building. Uh, that's an insurrection. But but that Capitol building does not hold our country together. Yes, some things happen there that are important to our society. Some things happen there that actually are not good for us. But but that is a special place in the sense that this is where the members of our federal government, the elected officials, meet to make decisions and debate, represent us ideally. Uh, represent their their big corporate masters and their lobbyist interests and all you know all those special things happen there. But when you start talking about the ability for the mob to intimidate and threaten jurors who are going to decide on the life of a citizen of the United States of America that's sitting in a courtroom now, their life in the balance. My friends, we are in trouble. If we do not deal with this, we are in trouble. Because it's one thing to go, hey, they walk through the Capitol building. That offends me. I'm an American. That's a great American institution. I got you. Like, I'm not going to deny you feeling upset about that. If that upsets you, I got it. I don't find it that upsetting because I don't think the event was what everyone's making it out to be. Hey, okay, maybe Mike's wrong. I doubt it, but maybe he is. But to not be upset about jurors being attacked, threatened, verbally attacked now, threatened with physical violence, violence to their families if they don't decide a certain way, that affects not just some carpetbaggers that got in as a representative, that affects you and I. God forbid you find yourself before a judge being accused of something that you didn't necessarily do. And now you're standing in front of a jury of your peers and the mob is able to now threaten those people to the point where maybe they decide against you, even though they know maybe it's not true. We have to get a handle on this. This is out of control, out of control. So what's interesting about the Rittenhouse case and a lot of people don't, boy, people struggle with this. They, they, they get into this, um, what I find encouraging about the Rittenhouse case, let me say it this way, is that the rule of law has been upheld. You may not like the situation. You might not like the details. You might not like the fact that people got shot. Some people are reveling in it. Other people are, are you know, ready to pack up and move to Canada. I mean, you get all kinds of responses here. But I think what's important in this case is, especially in a liberal state, in a liberal city, in a liberal state, a progressive state, progressive city, the rule of law has been upheld. I think this is important because as I talk about, we're on the precipice here of, of something really dark and dangerous for all of us. 
you're seeing at least some bit of hope. Now you can say, well, he shouldn't have been there. And, you know, he shouldn't have had a gun across state lines. So that's actually the state lines thing has been dealt with. And I even mentioned this incorrectly in the last episode. I said, oh, you know, maybe they're going to get him on that. That was thrown out. And I looked into that because I realized, well, wait a minute, uh, what's going on here? So long and short of it, it is legal for a 17-year-old to have a gun, a rifle like that in, in the state of Wisconsin. And he did not cross state lines. Somebody, uh, somebody else he owned the gun, but a friend in Kenosha held it for him. It was already there. He didn't like get in the car and drive over with his rifle and start shooting. He owned a firearm legally in Wisconsin. And at 17, he is allowed to have it. That's why that was thrown out before that. It wasn't one of the charges against him. So my bad, but you know, this is the narrative that we're told always. I mean, you know, I'm hearing from people now they're like, I didn't realize that they were white guys he shot. There are people just run around thinking that some white supremacist went in there and shot three black guys uh, as they were protesting, Jer- um, is it Jeremy Blake? I forget his first name now. Um, I feel like I'm close. I know it's Blake, but I think I've got the wrong first name. Forgive me. Uh, I'm not going to look it up right now. We'll keep going here. But, you know, people are like, wait, there were three white guys. Wait a minute. The first one, you know, and you watch the videos, you're like, wow, that guy was trying to kill him. You watch the second one. That guy was beating him over the head with a skateboard. You watch the third video. That guy pulled a gun on him while he was on the ground. And then when they asked that third guy, you know, uh, and we went through this in the last episode, you know, did he point his gun at you when you had your hands up? No, no, he didn't. So did my client point his gun at you only after you drew your gun and pointed at him? Yes. Uh, Did he shoot you? Oh, he only shot at me when I was pointing my gun at him. So, I mean, you know, these guys kind of admit. So I think it's encouraging because you see the left aggressively trying to change the Constitution, to to water down laws, to push, you know, our legal rights aside for the greater good of the collective, you know, for the vision of socialism. We're going to pass all kinds of new laws that you know, cancel out anything that you used to have that allowed you to be free, that allowed you to keep your own property and, you know, fill in all the blanks. I think this is encouraging to see a decision that upholds the rule of law. And that is that you and I have the right to go where we feel like going. Now, there's some areas that are private. You, you can't just go onto private property. I can't just walk into your home. I don't have that right. But a public space, I have the right to go to. I have the right to cross state lines. That's part of being in America. That's why these are the United States. You can do commerce. You can do business across state lines. You can travel freely. I don't need to show documents and papers. This isn't uh, some kind of gulag state. This isn't a number of, you know, warring states. I I can just go where I feel that I want to go. And you can too. This is part of being an American. Uh, And where it is legal, I mean, constitutionally, some people would argue Second Amendment, you should be able to have a gun anywhere, anytime, always. That's up for debate. Uh, I I happen to be pro-gun. I happen to be pro-Second Amendment. I'm not going to sit and argue that it should just be, you know, the Wild West. I'm not a total libertarian where there's just anarchy, do whatever you want. But Kyle did have the right to to have a gun. And what's interesting about this case, and this is something that I think people need to understand, and this applies to you as well, that if Kyle had brought that gun into Kenosha illegally, let's say that he was holding a gun that he should not have had. You and I and anyone else in this country are allowed to defend ourselves with whatever means necessary at our disposal in the moment that our life is in jeopardy. Now, that doesn't mean that if you're conducting a crime, meaning you're a burglar breaking into a place and the homeowner of the place you're breaking into tries to kill you, now you have the right to defend yourself so you can use whatever you want. You're already in the commission of, of breaking a law. But like Kyle had no, uh, he wasn't breaking a law of being in Kenosha. He had every right to be there. Now, a lot of people are like, well, he shouldn't have been there and he had no, he had no business coming there. So and this, this is where we get into very interesting territory. When we say he had no business being there, why is that? Why is it that Kyle had no business being there? And when you boil it down, it really comes to because we're busy protesting. How dare anyone infringe on our right to make a statement? Now, he wasn't there trying to stop protesters from chanting, from marching, 
he did put out a fire, a dumpster that was being rolled to this gas station to blow up. And there's all this kind of stuff that he was doing. But he had every right to be there as much as the protesters did. And I think protester is, I think protester is not a fair word. These were rioters. Let's just call it for what it is. I'm sure there were a lot of people that are just protesting. That's fine. But there were a lot of looters. There were a lot of rioters. There were a lot of uh, uh, assaulters, people creating, you know, committing assault. I mean, this was not a peaceful protest. This was not a vociferous protest. This wasn't uh, a loud protest. This was rioting. They were burning the city down because of Jacob Blake. So Kyle had every right to be there. And when you are in a situation where you're being attacked, if there's a gun near you, but you don't legally have the license to own a gun or, or you can still grab that gun and use it to defend yourself. Why? Because it's not, it's not about the technicalities of gun ownership. Your life is sacred. Every life is sacred. Every human being bears God's image. This is natural law. Every life is sacred. And so when your life is being threatened, when you're being threatened with violence or death, you have the right, the God-given natural law right to do whatever you need to do to defend yourself. And the person attacking you and trying to su subject you to violence, to kill you, etc., they're giving up. In essence, they're giving up their natural right to live. This is just very simple stuff. And if this case had gone the other way and Kyle was found guilty because the public mood was such that they were angry, that he would dare interrupt them, that he would dare defend himself, then what you would find is a society that said, it is no longer your right to defend your life. Your life is no longer sacred. What is sacred is our right to riot, to revolution, to overthrow, to burn down, to destroy because of our ideology. See, that's the underlying kind of message here is that there's a certain ideology that is sacred, that is sacrosanct. And it's only one. And that, that ideology is kind of, it's an umbrella, but it's Marxism. It's identity politics. It's ideological Marxism. It's economic Marxism. It's power structures. It's, it's, you know, the, the downtrodden, the proletariat against the 1%, the bourgeoisie, the, the white supremacists. You know, if, if we're going to say that Kyle had no business being there and, and these poor people would still be alive if he didn't come over state lines and start shooting, then you have to ask the question, well, what were the protesters doing there? What right did they have to be there? Burning things down, smashing windows, assaulting people, starting fires. What right did they have? You know, everybody's on the left, at least. And I, I, well, I say everybody, I think everybody right now is talking about justice. And if you're on the right, if you like libertarian ideas, if you like conservative ideas, if you like right, right wing ideas, you're saying right now, justice was served in a way, because evil people were killed. <laughs> the pedophiles and, and the wife beaters were killed. And the guy who stood up for what was right, who filled the gap that the police, you know, weren't able to or refused to take on themselves, uh, was found innocent. And so justice was done. But everybody right now is talking about justice. Everybody, the left and the right. They want justice. And there's this underlying idea, which I find fascinating. So there's a lot of hatred right now for Kyle because he's a white supremacist. He's a white male. You know, the, all the vile being poured out right now. This is, I'm terrified of white, angry white men, angry white men, angry white men with guns, right, right wingers, uh, white supremacists. I mean, you're just hearing this all the time. We want justice. We want justice. And I think the way that they are framing justice is anybody that's an underdog. And what I mean by underdog is not like, poor me, I'm just a good fellow, and but I don't make as much money and they're taking advantage of me. But anybody that is a minority group, 
anybody that is, you know, whether it's racial minority, sexual minority, whatever it is, anybody that's a freak, anybody that's an outcast, anybody that just doesn't have means, anybody that's outside of society in one way or another, you're righteous. You're righteous by virtue of not being the majority. And anybody that's a majority is evil. So if you're white and you're male or you're white and you're female, even you're straight, you know, Kyle's working class kid. This is not a kid that comes from some family of means. In fact, he came up in kind of a tough family. His father was a drunk. I think he beat his mother. I think the kid was like four years old. She left him a couple times and hid from him. But uh, I think he was four years old. The father just beat her in the stomach multiple times. She eventually left him, left him. Father lives in Kenosha, by the way. This is why Kyle goes back and forth. Like, I think he even works in Kenosha, but he's connected to Kenosha. It's not like he got in a car and just drove out there. And you get these states. Ever been to Kansas City? Anybody ever been to Kansas City? Look on a map. Kansas City straddles two states. It's on a state line between Missouri and Kansas. So you got Kansas City, Kansas, and Kansas City, Missouri. It's, this, it's one city, but its state line goes right down the middle. Kenosha is kind of like that. Not exactly the same thing, but he's 20 minutes away. This is not, you know, it takes me 20 minutes just to get from one side of the town I live in to the other side. That's not even the city, just West Ashley. Yeah, that's right. I'm in West Ashley. Uh, so, you know, you look at this and you say, well, well they're just on him because he's a white male, but this kid didn't come up easy. He had a tough time. I mean, there's a whole story behind it and everything he's done to kind of pull himself up by the bootstraps. He's an impressive kid. Yeah. Is it good in my mind that he had to shoot those people? No. If, if I had my druthers, would he have stayed home and not gotten involved in this fracas? Absolutely. But can I criticize him for stepping up to the plate and saying, hey, my city, my home, is being destroyed. I want to be there. I can't stop this, but I want to help. I want to help. And it doesn't look like the adults are doing what they need to do. I mean, there's the real crime, isn't it? We talk about justice. It's unjust for able-bodied people with the responsibility to rule and not rule. That's immoral. You know, a lot of Christians like to quote, you know, what, you know, why we should obey the government, you know, because, you know, Paul talks about uh, that God gives the king the sword that he may rule, you know, we have to obey, etc. And now people get wound up on this, but it's like there are other scriptures that clearly show that you don't have to obey the governor, the king, the state when it's going against God's law when it's immoral. But it's one thing when they tell you, you must do this thing that goes against your religion. You say, I'm not doing it. Or right now they say, you have to take a vax. It's like, look, this is my body. It's invaluable. You can't tell me what to put inside my body. It's my body. It's like the only thing that I came into this world with that's mine. And it's the only thing that I will have left when I leave this world. You don't get to take your body with you. But my point is, you don't die with all your money. You don't die with your house and all your, you know, it's just you, not even your clothing. The clothing just covers you. Your body is you. No one gets to tell you what you do with your body. I can't tell you what to do with your body sexually. You know, if I force you, that's called rape. It's a horrendous crime. I can't, I can't force you to get tattoos. I can't force you to get piercings. I can't force you to physically do things that are against your will, that to coerce you. I can't kidnap you. I can't take you. Why is that? Your body is yours. No one gets to tell you what to do with your body. I don't get to tell you. Your spouse doesn't get to tell you. The government doesn't get to tell you. That's your body. This is just a fundamental. This isn't even like, well, this is a law uh, in the constitution. This is natural law. This is a God-given right of every single human being. So in the instance where a government says, well, we've made a law where you have to put this thing in your body, it's like, well, I don't have to. It doesn't matter if the thing's good or bad. They don't have the right to tell you or I what we, can, what we have to put in our bodies. You can choose to. You can say, no, I've chosen. I, I want this vac. Shoot me up. Get me on that schedule. I'm in. I'll be in every six months. Just whack me, smack me, do whatever you got to do. Uh, I want the vax. Okay, fine. That's your call. 
You chose to do that. So the real crime is that the government didn't just commit a crime of commission, meaning in the example of the vax where they're forcing, they're not yet, they're trying to force us to take it. That's a crime. That's against your body. But the real crime here is the government has the responsibility to uphold the just and, and good laws of the land so that people can live in peace, so that people can have security and safety and live out their lives before God as they see fit. And they didn't do it. This is the crime. The crime is that the people responsible, on one hand, we're being told, give up your guns, trust the state, trust the police. You don't, you gun people are nuts. You know, you people for law and order are nuts. Hand it over. Let the professionals take care of these things. Why are you so wound up, you right-wing nut jobs, about defending yourselves? You must be insecure. You must be overcompensating for, you know, some, some lacks that you have in the physical attributes and so on. You, you know, there, there's like this mocking. But on the other hand, when you watch and you say, okay, well, what if I were to hand over these things to the state? The state is not upholding their end of the bargain. The state is not doing what is moral and right and just. You know, those riots in Kenosha, you know, you could say, well, Jacob Blake and everybody was upset. You got to let them, you just got to let them get out of their system. Really? What about all the people whose homes and businesses were destroyed, their livelihoods? You know, when you get a business destroyed, when you're a small business owner, some of these small business owners, they're making 50 grand a year if they're lucky. They're running some little shop in a crappy little city like Kenosha. They've got foot traffic in and out every day. It's dangerous. You could get robbed. You get a rough crowd, etc. Then somebody comes and burns it to the ground. This isn't some, you know, multi-millionaire. This is somebody that scrabbles out a living. And yeah, maybe they do a little better than the folks around, but they're not making a ton of money. And you've just wiped them out. You've wiped out a good human being. Just some, And they're providing a service to the community, by the way. And now that's gone. These people have a right to conduct their lives and their businesses in peace. Now, I understand you, that you can't control everything. And there is evil in this world. And it does befall us at different times. There's just bad luck. There's evil. There's sickness. There's drought. You know, acts of God, as they call it, earthquakes, whatever, all these things. We can't control... We can't necessarily have this perfect insulated life where no rain ever falls. But there are certain things that the state, and I say state and when I'm talking more, um, you know, symbolically here, I don't mean like necessarily specifically the state of Wisconsin, just the government. There's certain things that the government is obligated to take care of. We've elected these leaders. We've put these leaders in charge. We submit to their execution of their duties. We submit to their laws and rules. Why? Because they're supposed to care for us. They actually, the, the people are more powerful than the king. Not just because there's more of us, but we are saying, hey, king, you know, figuratively speaking, now symbolically speaking, rule over us. But we're not saying do whatever you damn well please. We're not saying take advantage of us. We're not saying abuse us. We're saying rule over us. We'll give you power. And in so doing, you will uphold the laws and the rules and the morals and the ethics of our community. You can't tell me that, that letting the city burn to the ground while these ne'er-do-wells just run rampant in the city and take over, that that is the value system of Kenosha, Wisconsin. It's not. It's a moral outrage that the leadership of that locale did not step up to the plate. And the true story here is that a 17-year-old boy thought, I need to step into the gap. Why is that? This kid does not have a hero complex. He's just a hardworking, civic-minded kid. I don't care what anybody tries to say about him. They're going to paint him all kinds of ways, right? You know, white supremacist, right-wing uh, nut job, et cetera, dopey kid. I heard, you know, Geraldo Rivera call him this dopey kid. He's not a dopey kid. This kid has done more with less than any of these pundits have ever done. Father beat his mother, alcoholic, she left him. They had all kinds of problems. Sister, deathly sick. I mean, this, this family's been through hell and back. 
And this kid has been working hard. Yeah, working to become an EMT, join an explorer group to, for law enforcement, firefighting, etc. This is a very civic-minded young man, and he's 17. 17 17-year-olds don't make good decisions, kids. We all know this. So yeah, I'd rather for Kyle's sake that he didn't have to go through all this. I'd rather that he stayed home. But I can't fault him because he's a he's a he was a child looking at a situation that was unjust, that was outrageous. And he had the courage to step in the in the gap. He had every right to be there. He was there legally, and he had every right to defend himself, to protect his own life against evil. He threw himself into the face, the maw of darkness, literal and figurative darkness. And he came out victorious. It's horrible what happened. It's a shame what happened. He has to live with this the rest of his life. This is going to affect him. There's no way this kid walks away. He's, you know, you look at the guy, you remember the, uh, what was it? Zimmerman, the Trayvon Martin. You know, and you can, whatever the story is there, but Zimmerman in is, you know, uh, supposedly in fear of his life, pulled out a gun, shot this kid. This is, you know, the Zimmerman, like Zimmerman became this kind of cocky right wing. I really didn't like what I saw with Zimmerman. And I, and I, you know, I'm not going to pass judgment, but personally, I did not like what I saw. I did not think that Trayvon Martin was this innocent young boy. I think he was a thug. Etc. If you look into some of the background, it's like Trayvon Martin was a very, he was a problem. Uh, he was trouble. So I can see these two getting into it, but I don't think either of these guys were savory characters. Uh, and what you saw with Zimmerman afterwards was this kind of like, he devolved. It was, it was sad to see this, that the character, the lack of character with Zimmerman, I think kind of showed and, you know, who knows what he's even up to right now. But, you know, with Kyle, uh, this kid was just trying to do right. He's a 17-year-old boy trying to do right, believes in civics, believes in morals and ethics and so on. And this is what happened. But I think the real crime, the shame, the, the, the evil is that those entrusted with the responsibility for caring for, protecting, and, 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 um, adjudicating the society and, and, and the laws of that society were derelict in their duty. And not just like, oh, we messed up on that one. Like they chose, they chose to let it go. And then when someone had the gall to step in there and say, this doesn't stand, you can't just do this. Then that same system, those same people tried to destroy this child. A child stood in the gap. Think about that. A child stood in the gap. Kyle even tried to turn himself into the police. They wanted nothing to do with him. I think they pepper sprayed him or something. I, I, I lose some of the facts here, some of the details, but they didn't want to do their job. So this puts to rest this lie that we're all supposed to just hand over uh, our ability to protect ourselves, to protect those that we love, to be able to enjoy a life and security and peace to others. I think the COVID-19, the handling of COVID-19, not just in America, look at Australia, look at Europe, France, look at the U.S., look at certain states and cities. Um, Michigan, New York, New York City. I mean, you did, the list goes on. Like th- These guys have abused, abused their authority. For what? I want to close with the thought that I want to share this whole time. I've been kind of going on here and I want to share this thought. The left has been demanding justice and they're outraged and they're sickened and they're infuriated. Even Joe Biden, he's angry and disappointed about the outcome of this uh, trial. Because their argument is they want the world to be a better place. And as long as people like Kyle Rittenhouse are free to roam the earth, this this world is not going to be a better place. They want the world to be a better place. And what's very interesting about that, and I hope hope you've stayed with me because I think this is important and I, I regret kind of not getting to this sooner. What's very interesting about this concept that the progressive left wants to see the world a better place is this is actually a Christian idea. The progressive left is is avowedly unholy, meaning the the concept of holy means you're dedicated to God. You're set apart to God. That's holiness. 
the progressive left has said, look, we don't even believe in God. We're not set apart to God. In fact, if anything, we're against him. If he exists, we're against him, but we don't even believe he exists. We're not for him. We're not for that. And so they're interestingly unholy. They're they're anti-Christ. And yet they are demanding that the world become a better place. They are demanding the world become a better place. The rioters, the ones burning the city down, supposedly because of the outrage, the injustice, this has to change. The people, the bloodlust, the bloodlust for Kyle Rittenhouse, that's all under the guise of we want the world to be a better place. This is a Christian concept, not the bloodlust, not the burning of cities. But it was Christianity that brought to the world the idea that the world could be better, that life could be better, that mankind could experience something better. In fact, it is Christianity that promises someday with the return of Christ, a perfect world, a new heaven, a new earth, a righteous king, judge sitting on his throne in the city of Jerusalem, Mount Zion. This is Christ come down to rule. Sin is gone, death is gone, evil is gone. No more pain and suffering, no more tears, a holy, pure, righteous world, a, perf- a perfect experience of life. It's what the left is after. They want this thing. They don't want Christ. They don't want what you and I think are good. But their, their whole argument for this, the reason that they're outraged the reason that they don't want the laws to be upheld because they want a, a better world and the laws are in the way, the white people are in the way, Kyle Rittenhouse stands in the way and they must be destroyed in order for this better world. And one of the funny things about the progressive left is their hatred for Christianity. They blame so much of the world's problems on Christianity And yet the very thing they want is rooted in a Christian idea, an idea that did not exist really in society before then, not in any meaningful way. Even Judaism didn't promise, you know, this perfect world. I mean, this is a uniquely Christian idea that they have co-opted. And yet at the same time, they hate Christianity. And I think that they don't even understand that the, the very value system, the ideas that they are standing upon find their start, their place in Christianity. Now, the application, the the actual ideas that they hold are warped. They're dark, they're twisted. And the application of those ideas is, is sickening to observe. But they blame Christianity and they blame the people that represent Christianity, the whites, the males, you know, the straights, the, you know, the people that are quote unquote, normal, traditional, these are, these are people are, are the problem in their mind. These are the representatives of this Christianity that has to be wiped away so that we can have a paganism and a secularism that will bring in this new world, supposedly. So what we're seeing here is both sides want justice, but the question is justice by what standard? By what standard are we defining our justice? And I think a lot of Christians even get in trouble with this because they've taken a, 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 a version of Christianity. They've said, well, you know, the, the Bible of the Old Testament seems a lot different than the Bible of the New Testament. I'm sorry, I said Bible. <laughs> <laughs> the Bible, the God of the Old Testament seems a lot different than the God of the New Testament. The God of the New Testament's loving and kind, and he makes fish and loaves multiply. He walks on water. He heals the sick, raises the dead. He does all these wonderful things. He, he drinks with the sinners and seems like a great guy. But the God of the Old Testament makes war and he punishes people and he's wroth. And he's seemingly jealous. He doesn't want you chasing after other gods in strange ways. He wants you for himself. He wants you to be holy, set apart to him. And even people, the Christians, evangelicals, and so on, the, the Catholics, they're looking at this Rittenhouse thing, a lot of leadership coming out and saying they're really troubled by it. And they're concerned about people of color. 
and white supremacy and the patriarchy and males and all this kind of stuff. And I think the problem here is by what standard are they defining justice? You cannot just define it by the New Testament God. You need both. We need to be just and merciful. We need to be holy. There's a lot of secularism informing our views today. There's a lot of paganism informing our views today. I don't think I've tied this up in a nice, neat bow I don't think that I've delivered you the perfect package for which you can go, well, I get it now. And Mike gave me the great uh, formula. Now I understand how to think about justice. Now I can just look at everything through that lens. Thank you, Mike. You've given me a great tool. But I hope that I've sparked some thoughts for you. I, th- I hope I've sparked some questions. You know, by, by what standard do we measure justice? What is just? How do we know when something is just? Bring it full circle. I mean, this long argument, you know, that Kyle has the right to defend himself, that as a human being, he should be able to ensure that he lives as long as he's not breaking laws and and, and attacking other people, threatening other lives. He's minding his own business for all intents and purposes. I know you're going to split hairs and go, he should have stayed home. He's going about his life, doing his thing, obeying the laws He has every right to defend himself, to make sure that he can live. And the reason for that, when I said it earlier, is because he bears God's image. This isn't about the collective. This isn't about, you know, political ideals. This isn't about Marxism. This isn't about people of color. This isn't about uh, marginalized groups and people that want to have all kinds of different sexual identities and all this stuff. Somehow we've made these paramount. We've talked to you know, politics, say we, not maybe not you and I, but a lot of politicians, you know, racism is the, is the most important uh, thing we've ever got to deal with. Meanwhile, people, you know, black people, white people, brown people, yellow people can't afford to put gas in their cars. They can't afford to feed their children. They have no future. They're looking at this going, I don't know how my children are going to escape this lower working class world I'm living in. I wanted my kids to be able to go to college. I wanted my kids to be able to get a good job. I don't know that that's even going to be possible in the next five, 10 or 20 years. I would imagine a lot of these people are saying, like, I'm not so worried about racism. I want to make sure I can eat and put food on the table and care for my family. I want these individuals that I love that bear God's image to thrive. I want them to be whole. I want them to find fulfillment and meaning. I want them to have the freedom to pursue life, to grow and to become the people that they, are, that they can potentially be, to find someone to love, to have a family. I want them to enjoy life and living. And if the society is crumbling around me and I'm fearful to even have an idea or thought that doesn't align with the progressive left, if I'm fearful of being beaten because I make a decision that doesn't line up with the progressive vision of what is good and right and just. If I can't afford a vehicle or I can't afford rent or I can't afford food or I can't afford an education for my children, let alone gadgets and vacations and all those extras, if I can't afford the basics and I'm stuck, if I'm not allowed to go about my business as I see fit, if I'm not allowed to cross certain lines or be at certain places at certain times in the public because somebody else's uh, demonstration or revolution takes precedent, well, then I don't know that racism is my biggest issue. Ultimately, we have to get down to the core of what matters. We have to have a system. We have to have a set of values that we can agree upon that help us understand what is just. And ultimately, it is about the fact that each human being bears God's image. And if the laws of the land and the behaviors of the leadership of that land do not reflect that reality, then those are unjust laws and those are wicked leaders. 
This is conservatism, friends. This is bringing things in order. People love to rank, uh, rankle, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the right, people like to attack conservatism, mock it and so on. Oh, you Bible bashers and you right-wing conservatives. At the end of the day, it's how do you order a society so that it can be just and good, so that people can thrive? And the assumption in there is that there is a cosmic order to the universe, that there is a king on the throne, and that our lives and our societies, our families, our communities need to reflect that reality. They need to come into order to that reality, the reality of God and Jesus Christ. So guys, as always, I love each and every one of you. And I love the fact that as each episode goes out there, there are more of you. I love seeing this little community grow. Make sure to get in touch with me. If you haven't done so already, sign up for my newsletter. I've been sending out ah, the odd email once in a blue moon. You can just go to my website, mike at mikegaston.com. There's a sign up form on the front page. You can also contact me. There's a contact form there. You want to tell me how lousy I am, how wonderful I am, or anything in between, please avail yourself. I'd love to hear from you. And if I'm in the mood, which I usually am, I'll respond, even if you're, even if you're not so nice. I might respond not so nicely. I won't be nasty, but I'll yank your chain a little bit. I mean, I don't mind trolling just a little here and there. Guys, I love you all. I hope this was useful to you. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you. And I won't talk to you until afterwards, but have a happy Thanksgiving. So much to be thankful for. I'm thankful for you guys. I hope that uh, you have something to be thankful for as well. Celebrate if you're in the U.S. And if you're not, hey, folks, just think of us as we have our Thanksgiving week. God bless you guys. I'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you.